I'm trying something a little new today. Um, I usually handwrite all my notes out, but I typed them up on the computer. So uh, we'll find out next week if it worked out. Uh, if, <laughs> you can tell me afterwards if, you, if I should rather handwrite them rather than print them out. Uh, but uh, it is a privilege to be in the main service today. Um, if you count next week, I will have been in the complete full worship service for three weeks in a row. Uh, that's last week, this week, and next week. That's the most that I've been in a service in, in a row consecutively since 2006. Uh, in March of 2006, we began junior church, uh, from children's church to junior's church. And therefore, uh, I'm, I've, for ever since then, I've either been leading the worship, the, the rallying time worship, or I've been teaching lessons. So I can come in every once in a while and hear, hear a sermon or uh, enjoy the music, but I would always have to choose one or the other. So, um, so it's actually really nice to be in the <laughs> main service for three weeks in a row, even if I'm behind the pulpit. Um, but uh, if, you, uh, if you're writing down message, uh, titles for messages today, I guess uh, I'm not, so one, not one for huge titles and fancy titles, but I guess if you would give this a title, it would be How We See Our Youth. How We See Our Youth. You know, children are... Children truly are a blessing. Uh, sitting in my office in the youth room, my office is on the other side of the building, uh, on Sundays and during the week, I'll have children come into my, to my office and uh, for any reason and no reason at all. Uh, kids will just drop off their colored pictures on my desk, so I'll have a blue giraffe that's colored out of the lines with this uh, scriggly uh, name uh, in the, partially across the whole page of who it was from. Um, sometimes I'll write me little notes. Um, this one is from <clears throat> Laura Kinneman. It says, Thank you, Pastor Billy. God, 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 God. With a bunch of stickers on it. And on the inside it says, For teaching me. Love, Laura. And there's uh, the Disney characters. And uh, it says, I love you, Billy. And then this is a picture of her, I'm guessing, with her hair. And here's a picture of me with short hair. She gave me more hair than I really have, which was nice. And uh, there's these squiggly lines coming up from my head. I don't know whether either I smell good or I'm stinky. I'm not sure. But there's a nose at the top sniffing my head with the little squiggly lines going up. So um, I'm going to take it that I smelled good rather than being the stinky, stinky Pastor Billy. Um, and she put her own stamp of approval on the back of it. She put a little character there. And it looks like uh, uh, her, I guess, with a bow in her hair with something in her mouth. So, uh, um, <clears throat> so I'll get these dropped off of my on my desk, and um, they sure are precious. They sure are precious. Uh, the other day, uh, David Baker, uh, the Bakers came in during the week, and, and uh, little David Baker just stood there in my, in my doorway, just looking at me. And I was like, how you doing, David? And, and he waved, and he came in, and we talked for a little bit, and he ran back out. And I get that a lot. Um, my daughter Hannah will, will often give me letters and notes and say how, uh, dear daddy, I love you so, 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 so much. Love, Hannah. And uh, in all different forms, and she'll color me papers and things like that. And so will my, so my daughter Madeline. And uh, <clears throat> I believe this is from, <clears throat> I believe this is from Joellen Toothman's class. Um, love on Joellen Toothman. She does a wonderful job with our children. And uh, pray for her and, uh, and just love on her. But uh, 
My daughter Madeline uh, gave this to me and she uh, wanted me to guess what type of fish it was. It's a rainbow trout. I thought that was pretty cool, a rainbow trout. So, uh, so I keep it in my, in my office and uh, she, she wanted to take it back the other day, but I, I took it from her and told her it was mine and I put it up real high so she couldn't reach it. Um, <clears throat> so I can keep it. But uh, not only do children, do children uh, are, are they such a blessing to me, but also the youth as well. When uh, I explained to the youth that I uh, would be leaving and transitioning to Centerpoint Bible Church, it was, uh, it was a very bittersweet evening, and I wept, and the teens wept, and uh, about a week later, I got a, an email and a call from one of my, one of my teens, Chris Adams, and Chris had, uh, had made a little movie for me, and I don't know what type of program it was, but it was a pretty neat little movie, and it was just a, a, a song, um, I think it was by Audio Adrenaline, and uh, Goodbye My Friend is what it is, Goodbye, 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 Goodbye My Friend, and all it was was a little character, like a cartoon character was on a motorcycle, and he just went up and down all these loops. But all the loops, through all the loops, were of different things in the span of, of youth ministry that he was involved in. And it would, it would, he would do, the little guy would do loops and stuff, and he would go down and hang time. He had a little character hanging, and all the little different events, 30-hour famine, and things like that. And uh, when I saw that, when I saw that, I wept. I wept. Because I knew that how much he loved me, loved me enough to make this video for me. Such a blessing. Such a blessing we have with our youth and with our children. You know, there's even verses in Scripture that pertain to, to children as a pleasure. And uh, we're going to be turning in our Bibles in a few moments to Mark, but just listen, listen for a few more moments as I share some Scripture with you and some instances in Scripture. The verses on children as a pleasure. Two, I just picked out two. Psalm 127 says, Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from Him. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, and children, a reward from Him. It also says in Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, <clears throat> and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. The Lord's pleasure is to reveal things to little children. If we think about youth, if you really stop and think about it in Scripture, youth have been monumental, monumental all throughout Scripture. And I just sat down and wrote some just things that popped into my head. We have the book of Judges. Gideon, the youngest of his family, the weakest of his clan, and yet the Lord used him as a judge to rout the Philistines with only 300 men. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were familiar with the story of how they stood up. They wouldn't bow down to the idol. And they stood up as young men, standing up for God. And God delivered them. Daniel, Daniel and Daniel 1, as a young man, would not, would not eat meat offered to idols, would not eat meat from the king's table, but only chose things that were pure. And God blessed him through that and stood up to that. How about Esther? Young Esther saving the lives of her people, the Israelites, by basically sticking her neck out, literally sticking her neck out and approaching the king when she wasn't, when she wasn't asked to. 
And she ended up saving the life of the Israelites and, and the king. How about little Samuel? Little Samuel in 1 Samuel 3. Even as a little boy, he was called to be God's spokesman. Young people. These are just young people that God, God's using. How about, uh, how about a little guy named David? Taking cheese and bread to his brothers. and ends up getting in the middle of a fight with a big old guy named Goliath. And he stood for God, and God blessed him through it. Young man. Joseph. Caleb. Ruth. Even I put down Naaman's maidservant, 2 Kings 5. She listened to the voice of the Lord and saved Naaman from leprosy. Delivered him from leprosy. How about the New Testament? A little boy with some bread and some fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And because he was willing to give of what he had, the Lord blessed it and fed 5,000. How about the disciples? They're not these old, wrinkly, bald-headed, long-bearded guys that we, that we often think of in these paintings that these famous painters have, have depicted. Some were pretty young, between the ages of 16 and 25. They're working in, the, in Matthew 4, they're working for their dads, working for their dads fishing. And he calls them out. Young men, young men, the youth, the youth, monumental in Scripture. I'd like us to look at a few passages today of Scripture that pertain to children and to youth and also our responsibilities with them. So if you could, turn with me to the book of Mark. Mark 10. Mark 10, verses 13 to 15. Mark 10, verses 13 to 15. It says, The people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the, children, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter in it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and he blessed, and he blessed them. That's a pretty neat little story. Little factual, historical, his, little fact throughout history that we can uh, read exactly what went on in, in Jesus' mind and the disciples' minds. The children, permitting the children to come to him. John Piper had written, uh, had actually said in a sermon that he had done in 1998, he asked a question. Have you ever asked why God designed the world so that the human race multiplies by having babies that take years to become adults? Why didn't God design the human race so that we multiply like earthworms? You know, one adult splits into become another adult. He could have done it that way, or any number of ways. Why did God ordain that there be children and not just adults? He answers, Children stand for something. They point to something. They represent something. They signify something bigger than themselves. 
They stand for the kind of dependence and helplessness and need and insufficiency and faith that is required of adults to enter the kingdom of God. To such as these belongs the kingdom. That's the meaning of their unique existence. They point the way to salvation. To such as these belongs to the kingdom. I'll read that answer one more time. They stand for something, they point to something, they represent something, they signify something bigger than themselves. They stand for the kind of dependence, helplessness, insufficiency, and faith that is required of adults to enter the kingdom of God. To such as these belongs the kingdom. Kind of a different way to look at children. Uh, I don't know about you, but there's some times that I wish I could be a kid again. Uh, the stresses of being an adult, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not crushed under the stresses of being an adult, but there are stresses that I, that I manage throughout my day, and I'm sure that uh, you do the same. But wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be nice just to be a kid again, just to be a little kid, then I have to worry about so many big things, worry about the little things, a cut knee or a scraped knee or, you know, having to brush your teeth before you go to bed. You know, um, I like watching, watching my daughters sleep because they have such peace when they sleep. Um, my daughter Madeline at, uh, at the camp out a couple weeks ago uh, was listening, sitting there listening to Dr. Anderson and she was like all flopped over, all weird shaped and she just like fell asleep and I'm holding her all kind of weird, her head's all weird, her foot's hanging out and yet she was completely asleep, completely asleep. Um, a few months ago, it was on a Wednesday evening, actually Thursday morning, around 2.30 a.m. Um, we, heard a, we heard the sound of a doorbell. Ding dong, 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 2.30 a.m. in the morning. I was in a daze. Alicia nudged me and, and uh, said, someone's at the door. Someone, someone's been ringing the doorbell. So uh, I got out of bed, you know, with nothing but my skivvies on. And, and I, you know, <clears throat> walked down the hallway. And honestly, my first thought was, Someone from church is stopping by. It's kind of weird. I was like, someone from church is stopping by or something. They need something. Or, you know, someone needs something. Maybe a neighbor. But my first thought was someone from church is stopping by. Um, I don't know why I thought that. It was 2.30 in the morning. Uh, but uh, so I walked, to the, I walked to my door. I walked down the steps, the first flight of steps. We have a split level, split foyer. And it was probably about like this. Like if this would be the, well, probably if this would be the door, here's our porch. And there's two or three steps. And right there is where it happened. Before I opened the door, I looked out the window, and there's three guys. And one gentleman is on the bottom, one gentleman is on top of him, another gentleman is kicking the bottom gentleman as hard as he can in the head. And uh, I, you know, my skivvies, flung open the door. What are you doing? Stop, stop, stop. Well, actually, what are you doing? Stop, 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 stop. And uh, they proceeded to tell me that, the one had broken into the other person's house and held him at knife point and they had caught him and they were beating him. <clears throat> and I said, well, well, stop kicking him. I'll call the cops. So I got him to calm down. He flashed this not-so-short knife that uh, he had showed it to me. And I said, just relax. I'll call the cops. So I went upstairs. Alicia gave me some pants and, you know, gave me the phone. And, uh, so I called the cop. Beep, beep, beep. You know, hey, it's me, blah, 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 people, this is my location. Uh, three gentlemen are attacking each other. Please come. 
And uh, by the time I came back down the steps, I came back down, I opened the door up, there was only one guy left. The two of the guys had split. And one guy was left, the guy that was beaten. And he got up, he was in a daze. And I was like, sit down now, you know, as authoritatively as I could say. And, uh, and he said, no, man, those guys broke into my house and held me at knife point. So I didn't know who to believe. Uh, but needless to say, I was awake at that moment. I was awake. And, um, the, you know, within a minute, the cops came and, you know, and all this ruckus and cops came. I went outside. I was talking to them. And uh, I went inside and I shut the door. And the first thing I did was walk down the stairs and I got my shotgun. I brought it up. I sat on the bed. I said, Alicia, let me give you a lesson one more time. This is how you use a shotgun. The shells go here. This is safety. This is how you, this is how you cock it. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Okay? And, uh, and uh, you know, I've, I'm, I've got no shame in saying that. And uh, so I got it and put the shotgun there. And uh, the cops came back. And went, we talked to them, walked around the yard a little bit. Um, came back in, shut the door, locked it, uh, sat down for, for a long time, just wide awake. And uh, before I went to sit down, I walked into my children's room, both my, my girls' two rooms, and Hannah was awake. She was awake. Um, she didn't know what was going on, and I explained it to her, but then I walked into Maddie's room, and of course, Maddie's dead asleep. She doesn't even know anything's going on. And uh, she's just dead to the world. Nothing was, nothing was bothering her at all. She was going to get her sleep no matter what. And uh, I can only, I can only uh, attribute that to her feeling so secure. Her not really, you know. Daddy will take care of it. Safe in her bed. No problems. At the camp out, I'm in, I'm in mama's arms. I'm in daddy's arms. What really, what really do I need to worry about? What really do I need to worry about? But um, let's go back to our scripture. Let's go back to our passage in Mark 10. And I want to just talk briefly on how the disciples saw the kids, the little children, how Jesus saw the children, and how we should see the children. So let's read it again. Mark 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. The disciples rebuked them. The word rebuke in the Greek is the same word that Jesus used when he was out on the lake and the storm came up and he rebuked the storm. It's also the same word used when he, when he cast out a demon from a man. He rebuked the demon that was in a man. So these aren't like, this isn't like uh, when, when the children came and the parents and the people came and brought the children, the disciples were like, oh, no, no, come back, come back again between 10 and 2. You know, we'll be opening then. You know, they were, they were forceful. In their, in their mannerisms and in their words to get these people out of the way. They were not kind. They were not kind. They were rebuking the people and uh, the people and the children and the children saying, you need to get out of here. He ain't got time for you. He's doing bigger and better things. The interesting thing is um, they were the core group. They were the core group. They were the disciples. The disciples. They followed Jesus. They watched Jesus. They'd seen Jesus heal little children, bring children back to life. They'd, they'd seen him interact. What, did, what were they meant? They, what, what was not firing in their synapses that they, could, they, could, that they registered this? They were supposed to be like Jesus, right? 
Weren't they supposed to be like Jesus? That's what a disciple is. You know, a follower? To be like Jesus? Well, they weren't. You know, they actually, they were much like us. Or I could say me. We often think we know what is best. But in reality, we need to find out what Jesus says is best. They had it all figured out in their minds. And it was totally wrong. And it was totally wrong. And that's how the disciples at that moment saw these children. So how did Jesus see them? It says here, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was indignant. The word indignant is two words, two Greek words, and I'm probably going to mispronounce them, but agon and akthos, which means much grief. Much grief. And I think indignant is a, is a good translation for that word, for these two words that are combined. Much grief, indignant. He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You, why in the world would you, would you not let the children come to me? What is wrong with you? He says, let the children come to me and don't hinder them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. In my mind, in my mind, I kind of see Jesus saying, I tell you the truth. Anyone who not received the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Kind of pointing his finger at it. You know, I'll tell you the truth. If you won't receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you're not going to enter it. And then what does he do? He opens his arms. He gets down, probably gets down on a knee and brings them all to him and hugs them and loves on them. He says, and he took the children in his arms and put his hands on them and he blessed them. He blessed them. How important, how important were the children to Jesus? Let's flip over to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verses 1 to 6. I know whenever the... the the chapter Matthew 18 comes into play. Uh, some of us may think uh, it's the, uh, the brother that has sinned against us and there's a policies and process of church discipline and things of that nature. Well, that's true. That's in Matthew 18. And it's something that is biblical and we need to abide by in church discipline. Good on one-on-one, bring two, not for the church, uh, things like that. But before that section, before that section is Matthew 18 verses 1 to 6. And it's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven by my, my, uh, my Bible has that heading. Matthew 18 verses 1 says this. Now remember, how important were the children to Jesus? At that time, the disciples who came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. So all the disciples are there and he brings this little kid and he has him stand in the front. And he said, I'll tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Yikes. Yikes. 
Let me read that verse again. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. To cause one of these little ones who believe in him to stumble and to sin. But Pastor Billy, Jesus didn't really mean that, did he? He didn't really mean that. Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. That's how important, that's how important the youth, the children were to Jesus Christ. That strikes fear in me. That strikes fear in me. And it should strike fear in all of us. How should we see them? Do we cause, do we cause our children to stumble in sin? Do we cause our children to stumble in sin? Now when I say, I forgot to reference this. When I say our children, I don't mean just biological children. I mean those that you come into contact with. I mean those that, that will hang out at your house. Those that you, that maybe your little brother or little sister may have, may have hanging out. Um, that means anyone, any, any child that, that, that you come into contact with, especially here at Fellowship Bible Church, campouts, uh, um, just day-to-day life every Sunday in Sunday school. These children... These, are, these children are in your family, are they not? Are they not in your family? Do we cause our children to stumble in sin? Does how we treat our husband, our wife, how we treat our neighbors, what we watch on television, what we listen to on the radio, how we speak to each other, how we speak to them, how we do handle stress, Teach our children to sin? That is convicting. We are held at a standard that God has said, do not cause one of these children that believe in me to sin. Don't do it. Don't do it. We have a responsibility to the children here at Fellowship Bible Church, to the children in our homes, to the children in our neighborhood, we have a responsibility to the youth at Fellowship Bible Church, the youth in our home, the youth in our neighborhood. We have a responsibility to them. But what should I do? How will I know what to do? I'm glad you asked that question. Let's turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6. I always get a little nervous when Willem's in the... When Willem's in the, uh, in the audience, because I want to make sure I say that things as right as I can, especially when it comes to the Tanakh, the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 9. I like Deuteronomy 6. I like it a lot. In Matthew 4, Jesus Christ is tempted 40 days, 40 nights. Satan comes to him and, and tempts him three different times. And of those three times, two times, two of the three, Jesus responds, every time he responds with scripture. But two of the three times he responds with passages in Deuteronomy 6. That's pretty neat. If, if, if our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the weakest, one of the weakest points in his life, one of the weakest points, turns to Deuteronomy 6, that must be pretty important. I believe in Deuteronomy 6, 4, it's called the Great Shema, or the Great Shema. 
But I'll go ahead and read Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, so we can kind of catch a little bit of understanding what's going on. Deuteronomy 5 is the Ten Commandments, uh, just as in Exodus 20, it's repeated in Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy kind of fleshes out the Ten Commandments a little more so. So imagine we've just finished reading the Ten Commandments. We're in Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to, to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Side note to this. Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 22, verse 37, when he was asked by, some of the, by a, um, a student of the law, said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. He goes to Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second of the greatest commandments, the second greatest commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hinge on these, he says in Matthew 22. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That's some good stuff. Practicality. Practicality right there in those, in those, those last verses. Shall we go to verse 6? These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Are to be upon your hearts. Not on stone tablets, but written on your hearts. The question is, how can you lead, how can you lead your children when you aren't even led yourself? How can you lead your children when you're not even being led yourself? If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, unfortunately, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You will enter into hell. Eternal separation from God. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. How do you do this? It is so easy. It's so simple. It's too simple. It's too easy. It's confusing to me. It's too simple. You admit that you're a sinner, which we all are. You call out to Him to save you. You just talk to God. You accept the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And you live your life in obedience to Him. And that is how you accept Christ as your Savior. That's how you pass from death to life, from heaven to hell, from eternal separation to eternal sanctification to, eternal, to an eternal relationship. But how can you lead if you're not led yourself? Maybe this would even be, reach even farther to say how if you're not letting yourself be led, if you are a believer and you're not letting yourself be led, how can you lead your children well? 
It says here in verse 7, Impress them on your children. Them meaning the commandments, the law, the word. Impress them on your children. The word, I, I looked it up because I was uh, just doing a little research and stuff, and I found this word that I didn't know. And if I don't know a word, I have a, a dictionary in my office that, uh, that I open up, and I'll look the word up, and then after I look it up, I'll put an X by it so that I try to, maybe when I'm 100 years old, I have a bunch of X's by, by uh, all, the, all the words in the dictionary. But uh, I didn't know the word, so I was ah, oh, good chance for me to open it up. Open up the, the dictionary. So I opened it up, and the word was inculcate. Inculcate, as I was fleshing out the the what, what it impress, impress, it's inculcate. And the word inculcate means to teach and impress by frequent repetitions or admonitions. To stamp it on them. To stamp it on them. You ever, if you're ever uh, on your knees and you're praying and you're, you're, you have your head on a, on, on a chair and the chair's got a bunch of ridges on it and you, know, you, you sit back up and you have all these like, little ridges on your forehead... Um, if you're sitting at the sitting there for too long and you're sitting like this and then you pull your hand away and there's this imprint on your on your face, you know, uh, um, you're driving along, you're driving and uh, the your, the back of your seat sticks to your leg and you get out and you have, have this line on your leg from sitting there for so long. When I was a uh, when I was a kid uh, in a soccer uh, soccer practice, um, uh, an older kid kicked a ball and it smacked me square in the face. And it knocked my tooth out, actually. Um, I was actually thankful because I didn't want to pull it out. But uh, this, this ball made an impression on my face. It literally, if you've never been kicked in the face with a soccer ball, I've had it done many times. It's a very interesting experience. Um, the ball literally will come and like almost wrap around your face a little bit and come back out. It's wonderful. Um, but uh, uh, the ball made an impression, impression on my face. Impress, impress it, impress it upon your children. Impress the commandments on your children. Impress it repetitiously, admonishing them. How? How do we do it? I'm glad you asked. Let's look a little farther. It says later on in verse 7, Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Talk about when you sit around the house, when you sit around the house doing nothing. Ask them how their day was. Ask them what's going on. You know, maybe bring in, a, bring in a little verse and see if a situation, they might share a situation. Say, well, can you think of a verse that might go along with that? What, what kind of verse am I going? Make a little game out of it. it, it don't treat the scripture as if, it's, if it's, it's horrible to talk about. Enjoy it. Enjoy talking about it. And make it fun and exciting for them to talk about. I bet you can't think of a verse that has this word in it. You know, and have them, have them try to think of, think of scripture. When you walk along the road, a.k.a. driving, when you're driving to and from soccer practice, when you're driving to your grandma's house. I don't know where we were. We were driving, uh, Alicia, myself, Hannah, and Madeline were, were, uh, were driving somewhere. And Hannah asked, uh, just out of the blue, Dad, can we go visit great-grandma's grave? And uh, I'm driving, and with my, my merciful response, Why? We don't need to visit great-grandma's grave. She's not there. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, and then I was like, well, I should probably explain this a little more uh, to, to this seven-year-old. So uh, I said, well, you see, great-grandma's body is in the ground, but she's in heaven. And, you know, as, as, uh, as 
innocently and simplistically as I can explain it. Uh, you know, and to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And, you know, God takes and he wants, you know, he loves and grandma's not hurting anymore. And, you know, and uh, explained to Maddie and, or to Hannah and I felt pretty good about my explanation. Uh, you know, you sit back sometimes as a parent, you're like, I did pretty good on that one, you know. And I'm driving. And, uh, and Maddie wanted to clarify what I had said to Hannah. So she said, yeah, Hannah, don't you know that grandma's body's in the ground, but her head's in heaven? <laughs> and, and I realized that I did not quite explain it as, I, as well as I could have. So then we had to go through the whole process again and me try to explain this, this to her. Um, but, you know, as funny as it is, and it, is, it was funny, and, you know, and Alicia and I, we held back laughter because that was just her innocent mind trying to process something that's so, something that I can hardly even comprehend. But she was trying to encapsulate it in what she knew and the phrases and things that I was saying. But you know what the good thing is? They asked. They asked. And we could talk about it. We could talk about it. And it wasn't something that, oh, you know, wait till, wait till we get to church and you can ask, you know, you can ask your Sunday school teacher. No. Talk about it. And if you don't know, say, you know what? I don't know. Let's try to find it. Let's try to find that answer. And you pull your Bible out and try to find it. Now, I, I'm saying these things not because I am great at it, because I actually am pretty poor at, at many of these things. Uh, I'm, pretty, I'm decent at the next one. When you lie down. When you lie down. At night when you tuck them in. Tuck them in, I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll lay beside, usually I lay beside Madeline and, and Alicia will put Hannah to bed, but we're, we try to switch up as much as we can just so they don't get into a super routine, but lay down. And sometimes Maddie and Hannah would ask questions that it's like they're just opening up their heart just a little bit. Just open up their heart, have a genuine question. You know, what's, what's heaven like? You know, am I going to die you know, I don't want you to die, Daddy. You know, things like that. And we can talk about them. And they open up this little window to their heart. This little, this little window is open right into their heart. Don't take advantage of that. Don't take advantage of that. If a little kid comes and just asks you a question, tugs you on the, on the leg, wants to show you a blue giraffe they've colored out of line, kneel down, get face to face with them. Tell them how great that is. Tell them how wonderful that is. Talk to them about it. You know? Because when they open, the, open it up, open up their hearts, we've got to be very careful with how we, how we hold their precious hearts in our hands. You've got to be very careful even with the teens, the youth. They ask questions. They ask, they ask harder questions. That I don't know. And I say, you know, I don't know. But I'll help you find the answer. Let's find the answer together when you lie down. How about this? It says at the very end of verse 7, when you lie down and when you get up, early in the morning when you get up. Now, I am horrible at this. Alicia is very good at this. I am not good at this. Uh, being able to set a little time aside to be able to talk or read a little, read a little, a little page in a book. There's like five-minute devotionals for children. You know, just talk about attention getters, trying to spark, spark their mind to churn a different way. She does really good at that. And I need to work on that. I really do. But, you know, we need to make it so much of part of our life that we ooze God's word in the life of our children and in our youth. In the youth. We, we are given a, a, a great responsibility and we cannot, we cannot abandon that responsibility. It says here, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Uh, 
Orthodox Jewish men will actually, will actually have a little thing called phylacteries, a phylactery where it's this little square box that's painted black, it's got some Hebrew written on it, and uh, they would bind it around their head when they were doing prayers. And it's actually four different chambers and four different verses, uh, and they would place them in there, and then the ones that were, that were uh, on their hands or on the arm would be just one, one main chamber with one verse, or I can't remember exactly, uh, but, but they literally went to the... Went to the to the degree of when they read these verses, there's also three other times in, in the Old Testament that, that reference of binding them on your forehead, that they would go ahead and bind them on the forehead. Now, in my, in my, in my study, because I, I was trying to figure out, what, do I need to do this? Do I need to start binding these things on my forehead? You know? M maybe I do. I don't know. But I was reading some Hebrew scholars, and, uh, and they said it's, it's more of a symbolic. And, uh, and, and if you take it symbolically, figuratively, figuratively, Binding on a forehead, right here, right here, the forefront of our mind, to understand, to seek to understand God's word, should always be in the forefront. Bind them on our hands, tie them on our hands, it says. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead, symbols on your hands. What we do, what we touch, is it, is it bathed in God's word? It says put them on the doorposts and the gates. When people come into your, when, when children or youth or anyone comes into your house, Come to your home. Is it a home that they immediately know it's God's house? Do they immediately know it's God's home? When, when a kid will, might st jump into your, into, your, uh, into your yard to play with your kids, do they know, hey, these kids are different. This home is different. This home's a believing home. The kids may not understand. What, why do you do this stuff? What, what's going on here? This is different. You know, I think it's a good thing. Dare to be different. Christ was. Dare to be different. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let your house be known as a house obedient to the Lord. I am in no way, shape, or form saying that I have arrived because I have not. Uh, we don't have enough time to talk about my inadequacies and my, and my problems and my issues. Um, but there's a glimmer, there's a glimmer of hope and Hannah and Maddie were driving down the, down the road one day and just out of the blue, Maddie said, look at all those crosses beside the road. And I was looking for like the, you know, the three crosses and things like that. And she was pointing to the, the telephone poles, how they all look like, like crosses. And you know, the, trying and just endeavoring to ingrain in our children, in all our children, to think biblically. To think biblically, even if they're looking at a telephone pole, even if they're looking at nothing, that their mind is churning toward biblical things. All roads lead to Jesus Christ. Every conversation that I've ever had in my whole entire life, I could point to Jesus Christ. Any conversation, anything, can easily be pointed to Jesus Christ, could easily be pointed to God and His Word. We need to start thinking upon this mentality and start training ourselves because we are set at such a high standard because we have the, the lives of our children in our hands. Let us see our youth as Christ sees them. Let us see our children as Christ sees them. Full of potential and heirs and heirs to the kingdom of God. Amen? Let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, it's
It is your word, not mine. You write things in your word that sometimes I just don't want to do. And I don't want to obey. But I know that if I do obey these things and submit myself to your word and to your son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that you have sealed within me, you will guide me as you see fit and I can be a tool in your hands. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to see these children, these youth that we come into contact with in a totally different light and see them as your son Jesus Christ sees them. Not rebuking them or sending them away, but welcoming them and praying for them and loving them and becoming just as little children so that we too may enter into your heaven. Resting in your arms, being able to sleep soundly, knowing that you are the divine protector and that you will care for us in any and every situation. Help us to love our kids. Help us to love ourselves. Help us to be obedient to your word. I pray all these things in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.